Nurse.com is proud to be a sponsor of the Ask Nurse Alice podcast. As the premier destination for nursing knowledge and resources, Nurse.com supports your passion for healthcare with an unrivaled collection of tools, articles, and courses tailored for the nursing community. Get your daily dose of things you need to know for your nursing journey. Discover the world of nursing like never before with Nurse.com. Empower your practice, advance your career, and enrich your knowledge. Nurse.com. It's your nurse life all in one place. You're listening to Ask Nurse Alice, presented by Nurse.org, where Alice Benjamin combines no-nonsense advice with thought-provoking interviews. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Ask Nurse Alice podcast, the show where we talk about anything and everything nursing and healthcare related. I'm your host, Alice Benjamin, clinical nurse specialist, family nurse practitioner, and chief nursing officer at Nurse.org. And on today's episode, I want to talk about Good Samaritan laws. Now, as a healthcare provider, some of you are nursing students, uh, aspiring nurses, uh, nurses, APRNs, physicians, PT, EMTs, like, listen, certified nursing assistants, whoever you are that's listening, who might be in a healthcare professional role. We take care of patients. That's what we do. That's what we go to school for. That's what we're trained to do. And once we become licensed or certified and we're in our role, that's what we're doing every day, taking care of patients. In our clinic or hospital setting, or perhaps it's telehealth, uh, maybe it's in a school, wherever your setting is, you have your setting and you're operating within your scope of practice, taking care of people. Very clear. Now, how many of you have had to render care to someone while you were off duty, um, outside your clinical setting? Um, not currently working in the role. That is a little bit um, interesting and scary, if I can say, at the same time. And I had a recent experience. I went to New Orleans traveling for the Essence Festival, where I was a speaker. Had a great time while I was there, talked health and wellness at the festival, met a lot of great people, um, talked to a lot of uh, people who had health questions. It was awesome. It was great and networked. Um, also, it was the power, the Nurse Power Brunch Network was out there and had a fabulous time at that event as well. But on my travel back, uh, which, by the way, was very exhausting, um, had a full weekend where I really didn't sleep. I was go, 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 go. Got on a plane. Flight was delayed. Crying babies, uncomfortable seats, sitting in the middle. And it's like, oh, just so ready to get home. So I finally landed LAX, which is my airport here in Los Angeles. Well, after midnight, later than I expected, I had checked bags and I was like, I just want to get home. So as I get off the plane, I'm walking to baggage claim and I can hear overhead uh, an announcement that says, if there is a healthcare professional in the baggage claim, please walk towards baggage claim carousel 23 and wave your hand. I'm just, I'm just approaching on the scene. I'm like, oh, surely thousands of people are here in LAX. Somebody's obviously responded, right? I'm getting off the plane. I'm still far away. Oh, you know, I go to my carousel and wait for my bags. And I still hear, I hear this announcement again. I'm like, ain't nobody come? Y'all call 911? Like, what's happening? Why are you having to call this again? Anyways, I'm getting, I get my bags and I hear it again. I'm like, okay. And I literally have to walk past carousel 23 to get exit the building to go to, to catch my Uber. So 
I'm walking, but in my head, I'm like, surely somebody's arrived. Somebody's going to do it. Not, I'm not thinking like, oh, let me go. Right. It's almost like being in the hospital. You hear a code overhead. You hear it and you see people already running there. And so you're like, oh, surely they got enough people. I don't need to come. And so you just continue about your duties because there's enough people there responding. We know how it is when there's too many people in the room when there's code. So I'm thinking to my head, although I'm not seeing anyone, I'm like, oh, surely somebody's there. I'm getting closer and closer. And I see a whole bunch of police officers kind of in this, almost like in a huddle. And I see a lady on the ground. Looks like an elderly lady. And then I see blood. So for a moment, y'all, for a moment, I love people. I love taking care of people. But I was dog tired, okay? And for a moment, I'm like, I'm not responding. I don't need to. I don't have to. I'm not on duty. I legit did. And many people would have just kept walking at the door. Uh, Some people would have maybe even wanted to respond, but like, no, I'm not going to respond because of the legalities. I don't know what I'm getting myself into, setting myself up for legal troubles, even if they wanted to really, really help. So I think there's a lot of reasons why people like us, healthcare professionals, in our regular everyday lives off of duty, don't necessarily respond to emergencies. Now, if I decided to keep walking out the door and someone had known, oh my gosh, that's Nurse Alice, emergency room nurse practitioner, critical care, yada, yada, yada. And I just kept on walking. They would have known that they probably would have thought very badly of me. But here's the thing. I'm off duty and I'm not obligated to stop and take care of anyone when I'm off duty. There's like a, I feel like a moral obligation, but not there's no legal thing that says, hey, you have to stop and you have to do this. Right. So it becomes a, an issue of ethics and morals of whether you're going to respond. And some, again, want to, but because of fear of legal issues of getting, oh, I'm going to get sued. That might be something that is a barrier to prevent someone from responding. That's all been identified, which is why there is something called the Good Samaritan Law. Okay, this uh, the whole premise of the uh, Good Samaritan Law is so that to protect an individual who intervenes to assist another person without any prior notion or responsibility or promise for compensation. That's really the whole premise of it. Right. I'm off duty, not expecting to get paid, didn't plan for it. And but I'm here to help you. Okay, so it is a law that is meant to protect people like that, like us, and to remove some of those fears of liability and getting sued and all those things if I decide to help someone. But it's for public interest and public good that we do do that, which is why the Good Samaritan Law exists. So I'm getting close. I'm walking up on the baggage claim, 23, and I see the huddle of the police officer. I see an elderly woman laying down. I see someone kind of kneeling on her head and I see blood. But I don't see any action and movement. So me, ER nurse practitioner, I, I just couldn't help it. As tired as I was, it was already like maybe close to one o'clock in the morning. But I'm like, Alice, you got to go help. Because I would want someone to help me. I would want someone to help my family, my friends, if that were me. And I know that I have the skill set to do that, at least until emergency services arise. So I go there. There is a home health registered nurse that's kneeling by her head. She identifies herself as a nurse. I said, hi, I'm Alice. I'm an emergency room nurse practitioner. Can I be of assistance? And so I didn't know who the folks were there, but then the person at the head, she said, hi, I'm, I forget what her name was, but she's like, I'm a home health RN. I'm so glad you're here. And I'm like, okay. And then I'm looking at the police officers and I'm like, so what happened? And as they're talking, not that what they were saying wasn't important. Um, basically like my eyes are scanning head to toe, like looking at the this little old lady on the ground, head to toe, head to toe. So as they're talking, which seems like wonk, 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 because it's like they're telling me this long story. I'm like, 
to me, it's like, get to the point. Give me a quick ass bar. But they're not healthcare professionals, so they can't do that. And so anyways, as they're talking, um, I'm looking head to toe. The woman is, her eyes are opening and closing. She's tracking. She's looking at me. There's a bloody towel on the back of her head, which one of the police officers with gloves is holding on, bright red. I see that there is vomit on the ground. I see that she has urinated on herself and she seems very well kept. Okay. So I kind of scan, you know, she's breathing, she's tracking, didn't look pale, diaphoretic or anything like that. She just seemed like, oh, I fell and um, my head's bleeding type of thing. And so the police officer said, passenger said that she was standing there and she fell back and hit her head. And so I introduced myself to um, the patient. I'm just going to make up her name. Say, hi, Gladys. My name's Alice. I'm a nurse practitioner. Um, I'm here to help until the paramedics get here. Are you okay? He says, I'm okay. I feel really silly about everything that's happened. I said, well, what happened? She's like, I don't know. I got off the plane. I was traveling by myself, going home. And next thing I know, I'm on the ground. And so I politely asked her, I said, well, I'd like to ask you a couple questions just to kind of see where things are going. Is it okay if I look in your purse and we look at your ID? Because it's very important that we know who you are. So in her front of her, got her purse, got her driver's license. So I verified, I said, can you tell me your full name? Can you tell me your date of birth? Do you know where we are? And, you know, I already asked her the story of what happened. I said, do you know what's going on now? And she, she was alert and oriented times four. She could tell me everything. I asked her, do she have any medical conditions? High blood pressure, diabetes, cholesterol, osteoarthritis, just had a cabbage earlier in the year, January. I guess I where, where she had the surgery, but she had it locally in the Los Angeles area. And she said, oh yeah, my daughter and my granddaughter's a nurse. I said, okay, well, can we call your daughter or your granddaughter a family member? Um, so we called her daughter, no answer. Called the granddaughter who was a nurse, called her and she was a newer nurse who was working in mid-surge and was not aware of her grandma's medical history other than she had surgery in January. So didn't really get much information there, but did say, you know, can you call? I tried to verify medical information, but I said, can you call your mom to let her know what's going on? I'm here. I identified myself as I'm here with your grandmother and we are waiting for paramedics to arrive and she will likely, uh, she's going to the emergency room and she's likely going to be admitted considering her medical history. Um, she is on blood thinners and her head is bleeding. I said, I'm not her direct provider, but based on my assessment, I gather that's probably what's going to happen. She said, okay, thank you. And then that was the end of that conversation. So in the interim, we're waiting. So the police officers are there and then it's me. I turn around, the, the, the home health RN is gone. She's out of there. And so I just said, okay. In my head, although I was not at work, I thought, Alice, what would you do at work? Obviously, I'd want to get her to head CT, right? Can't do that. We're waiting for paramedics. And I asked, I was like, what's... What's the delay? What's going on so long? So apparently at LAX, they have five rigs that respond to emergency calls. And the fifth rig had just recently left for with someone else. And they were all like, I mean, dispersed. So they were waiting. And then when we, you know, I was literally there with the lady for about an hour almost. And the reason why it took so long is because once one of those rigs uh, was cleared, the traffic with getting back to the terminal where we were was like crazy. LAX, listen, y'all, LAX is nuts. Um, but the, and they couldn't get through, so they were they were trying to. But anyway, in the during that time, I continued to assess and reassess. Didn't have any blood pressure machine, anything like that. I asked where the first aid kit was. I said we probably should get the AED, 
Interesting enough, they didn't want to go get the AED because they didn't think that was warranted. I said, you know, we really should have it, or at least where is it? So no one went and broke it and got it. However, I knew where it was close enough because although this woman was alert and oriented talking to me at any given moment, she could have stopped breathing, become unconscious or things like that. And I would have need to have quickly placed the AED, but at least I knew where it was. And by this time, we also have Delta employees around and everything. And I continue to talk to the woman. I do a whole neuro assessment test, I, you know, to see if she could follow my commands. I assessed her muscle strength. You know, didn't have her get up. We just had her continue to lay on her side in a rescue position because she had previous vomit. So I didn't want anything to happen. So we kept her on her side. Good pulses. Skin was nice and warm. So I wasn't concerned for any compromise with circulation. But I did look at her head. So like her head, there was just like this bloody town. I said, you know, can I have a set of gloves? I just want to take a look at what's going on to see if the blood was um, pulsating to see, determine if it was arterial or not. There was no pulsation and it was just like a slow ooze. It wasn't a a pulsating ooze. So obviously there was lots of blood. Her hair started to become matted. I don't have like CAT scan, MRI, radar eyes or anything. But from what I saw, it didn't look like it was arterial because it wasn't like pulsating blood out. But, and it it definitely slowed down. But because she was on Xeralto and I think she was also taking aspirin, some other things to be concerned, right? She fell and there was so much blood on the floor I was trying to, you know, it's hard to estimate the blood, but definitely enough blood that I'm pretty sure she's going to stay overnight, at least overnight in the emergency room, if not admitted. Because here's the thing, we want to secure the bleeding, right? First off, make sure there's no internal head bleed, stabilize the external bleeding, make sure there's no internal bleeding in the head. And then also it's like, well, why'd you pass out? So getting to that underlying cause, was it and she was elderly, traveling by herself. Oh, and she also said she hadn't taken her medication in three days because she ran out because she was traveling. So it could be a combination of things. Remember, diabetic, uh, high blood pressure. So could have been blood pressure, could have been blood sugar issues, could have been dehydration. Um, she had some cabbage done. I don't know what other things she has going on with her, but could have been something cardiac related, an arrhythmia. I don't know what her carotids are doing. Like there's so much. Although as a nurse practitioner and even as a nurse, you start thinking these things. But again. I'm off duty. I'm a good Samaritan. I ain't supposed to be there. I'm volunteering and I'm helping because I see a person in need. That was the situation with that long. And eventually the paramedics came. I gave a quick S-bar, provided them the phone number for the daughter and the granddaughter and called the granddaughter again on the patient's phone while she was there to let them know what was happening. And so then I was kind of washed my hands of that and I was getting ready to go. Police officers took a report for me, asked me who I was, my name, blah, 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 where to contact me if needed. And then the Delta lady was like, oh my gosh, thank you so much. We'd like to offer you some, some Delta Sky Miles for your service. Thank you so much. And this, I would totally was not expecting that. So she got my contact information, uh, in which, by the way, Delta was so kind enough to give me Sky Mile points. I was not expecting it, didn't ask for it, and it was just gifted to me for my time. Now, what would have happened if she started vomiting or stopped breathing and we needed to initiate CPR. Like that's when things get a little, you know, a lot more complicated, but still I'm off duty. I wasn't in a, a, a patient a provider role. I wasn't expecting payment. I, you know, this told completely off the clock, just assisting. And so as a good Samaritan, even if something had gone, needed more in depth, like she needed CPR. And let's say I did CPR. And during the process of doing CPR, I cracked one of her ribs. Uh, that's happened before, especially in elderly, frail people. I've, it happened one time. 
Um, patient still survived, but you know, he was very frail and had osteoporosis and a whole bunch of things. Anyways, someone might be afraid, like, oh my gosh, I cracked a rib. If, uh, they can sue me or if that rib can puncture their lung. They can get a pneumo. They could sue me. Like and pe- that's, how, that's why people don't respond and they act, but people survive those things. And I think, not, I think, I know that there's community and public benefit when healthcare professionals with our knowledge and our training do respond in emergency situations. Now, again, moral ethical issue. If you want to, you don't have to, but if you decide to, this Good Samaritan law is supposed to protect us. In all 50 states and the District of Columbia have Good Samaritan laws, and there are even additional federal laws um, that can protect us. One of those, including the 1998 Aviation Medical Assistance Act, which this law provides coverage to Good Samaritans while in flight in air and protects doctors and other healthcare professionals acting in Good Samaritan roles on airlines. I've never had to respond in that situation because I remember there was an in- incident one time, but there was a, yeah, they went with the doctor, whatever, go ahead, go with the doctor. You know, I'm just America's favorite nurse, family nurse practitioner with critical care ER experience. Go ahead and go with the family practice doctor who barely touched patients, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, <laughs> that's ego. Uh, that was my ego talking. But anyways, a healthcare professional responded, so my services weren't needed. But I say this to say, there are laws out there that are intended to protect us, but there are some caveats to that I think that we should be also aware of. So let's first be aware that we are protected by Good Samaritan laws when we were acting um, with certain conditions in place. First off, if the patient is awake, alert, oriented, able to consent, we must ask for permission um, from the ill or injured person when possible. So this lady was talking to me. Um, she was amicable and happy that I was there to help her. She told me, she's like, thank you so much for being here. I'm so glad you're here. So she was happy to have me there. Also, we have to ensure that the care given is appropriate and it's not reckless. So like, for example, if someone stopped breathing, heart, uh, heart stopped, obviously initial C- CPR is appropriate. If someone stopped breathing, and I decided I want to take my pocket knife out, put a little slit in the trachea area, take a straw and make a homemade trachea. No, that's gross negligence. That's We're not doing that. I, I saw that in an ER episode on television where that is something that is well beyond the scope of a good Samaritan law. And especially if something goes wrong with that, that would be considered reckless. Also, um, a person covered by the good Samaritan law is not the person who caused the accident. Like if there is a an accident and someone doesn't even respond, if you cause the accident, you can't also be the Good Samaritan because you caused the accident, which even why you need to respond and provide the care. Um, and then also this, this is care that is only being given in emergency situation while waiting for trained on-duty help to arrive, okay? So those are some conditions that need to exist to be covered by the Good Samaritan law. It's important to know that in your duty of caring for someone outside of hospital walls, outside of clinical walls, while you're off duty um, and you're doing this out of the kindness of your heart, that yes, there are good Samaritan laws meant to protect you. I gave you some examples of what is appropriate and what could be considered gross negligence. But also, I want to also specify this because this is I'm not a lawyer. So don't, don't bring my name up in court if you ever go. Um, but so this is just kind of a general broad brush conversation that, yes, there are good Samaritan laws that exist, but you must 
also recognize what, if there are anything specific to your sinks. Because in rare cases, and depending on the exact location and conditions and circumstances of what happened, you may be held liable. There is a case, an example of something that happened in California while it was two nurses who just got off work. I think they were in hospital parking lot still. There was some, I don't know the exact accent, but something that happened, but one of the nurse's car, the car caught on fire and she's inside. The other nurse is, does something to, and drag and pulls the, oh no, she was driving. She hit like a light pole. Something happened, car caught on fire. So the other nurse is trying to drag her out of the car and cause a spinal cord injury. And unfortunately that nurse was held liable for something. I mean, that's a little unusual, weird. Maybe, maybe it was because of, it was on hospital grounds. Um, maybe it's because they were just coming off of duty. I'm not exactly sure of the incidents, but I, and it's sad that I have to tell that story because I don't want to discourage you from responding, but that is a case. So you, that has happened. So, you know, you have to be very careful of what is specific to your state and even traveling outside of the country. Outside of the country, many countries still have good Samaritan laws, but how they, the details of them, what's covered, what's not covered, still something that is specific to their area. So if you're traveling somewhere and you'd like to know, it's real important that you um, look that information up. But again, general things like CPR, listen, we train regular everyday people to do CPR because we know the value of that. Again, it's about public interest, public benefit. There's some research that shows that when we can raise awareness with physicians, nurses, and other healthcare providers that Good Samaritan laws exist, that the likelihood for them to help increases. So that's why I wanted to talk about this because it happened and I didn't really talk about it. I was exhausted. I was just trying to recoup from the trip. And I was like, you know what? I should probably talk about this because even myself for a split second, I wasn't going to respond. Then I was like, I felt kind of like this, the, the strings on my heart get tugged and I'm like, Alice, you should respond. But I'm, you know, I'm aware of Good Samaritan laws and want to make sure that you, everyone who's listening, uh, students, nursing students, nurses, advanced practice nurses, doctors, whoever's listening, that these exist. And so there is some, there is coverage. Um, again, don't go trying to do mini surgery in the grocery store. Ralph's when the person passes out. Again, no self-made tricks, but CPR is warranted. Do the do some of the basic things that you can do to help sustain a person until advanced healthcare services arrive, right? Something that's very uh, important to do. Something else, I wanted to jump back real quick to the story about, I, we were on the ground. We were already at LAX, so I wasn't necessarily in the air. And I spoke to their Good Samaritan laws while we were in the air. If you are someone who ever has to respond to an emergency on the air, by the way, which some of the most common in-flight emergencies include syncope or near syncope. That's like number one. Um, I think I've been syncopal on a plane, but I hadn't eaten. So I just need orange. I just asked the stewardess, give me several cups of orange juice and water. And I was fine. Gastrointestinal uh, issues, respiratory uh, is next and cardiovascular next ones. And usually, so people do know that on a plane, uh, even if you've not seen it, so minimum requirements for onboard emergency medical kit equipment on U.S. Uh, domestic flights include an AED, an automated external defibrillator, equipment to obtain a basic assessment, equipment for hemorrhage control, initiation of in, an IV line, and medications to treat basic conditions. So planes have that. If you didn't know, now you know. 
Now, if you're traveling over to other countries, their kits may be a little bit different, but for the most part, there's some type of medical kit. So because I recognize that airline stewardess are not healthcare professionals, they can probably be very good at CPR. There's going to be some limited scope uh, of their ability. So again, if I was traveling, my friends were traveling, I would want somebody to respond. So now I've taken it upon myself that every time I travel and I get on a plane, not for not to brag or boast or anything, but I, usually when you come on, they're like, hi, welcome aboard. I said, hi, thank you so much. I'm hopeful that my services won't be needed because I am off duty, but I just want you to know I'm an emergency room nurse practitioner. Um, so if anything's needed, you know where I'm sitting. And so usually that's where, you know, they, they keep you in mind. And actually after Essence, I've had three other flights that I've taken on one occasion, someone, one of the stewardess did come by me. She says, I don't know that we're going to need you yet, but there's someone who's not feeling well up at the rear of the plane. So just, just let you know. And so she just said that, but she never came back. So it actually kind of filled my cup a little bit to be needed and considered in those situations. Because again, when emergencies go down, people just want help. They're not asking you for medical miracles, but they just want help. And if you are the person on the plane who is the best trained, most knowledgeable, best skilled to provide basic care, things to people that may seem like medical emergencies, some of them are like, really? That's it? Here, you got some itchies? Take some Benadryl. You have like your upset stomach? Here, try some Maalox first. Oh, you're, you know, like some basic things that we can do or someone cuts themselves and maybe they're bleeding a little bit. We can clean the wound and look, okay, it's superficial. Let's apply some pressure, put a bandage. Okay, until we get to, uh, unless it truly is a situation where you can in your clinical experience say, hey, we need to, we need to land wherever we got to go. This is an emergency situation. And you could actually save someone's life in that sense. So like you might need to do CPR or based on your clinical expertise, say, look, we don't have two hours to wait till we land in LAX. We need to, we need to go somewhere now. This person is bleeding out and needs something now. Like, or this person is having a stroke. We need to land now. It's closest stroke center. Like, those are the things that you can say, your clinical advice, your good Samaritan law, like you're protected. Like for me to say to someone, to an airline stewardess or pilot, like this patient's actually having a stroke, their medical history is that or not, my recommendation is that they get to the nearest stroke center immediately. We need to reroute. Do you know how much of an impact that can make on someone's life? Time is tissue and we know that, right? So rather a, a, a flight try to continue for the next three hours to get to its end destination, Versus they make a pit stop and they land in the next 30 minutes to get someone to the closest stroke center. You can make a difference in saving someone's life. I know you're off duty, you're on vacay, you're ready to do these type of things and you're not obligated to be a good Samaritan, but I would strongly encourage you to consider the gift, the skill, the knowledge, the gift that you have to help change the trajectory of someone's life. Under the protection of the Good Samaritan Law, I hope that that encourages you to speak up, even if you're not completely physically involved, to at least share your clinical expertise verbally to say what should happen, what should be done. I would hope that you would consider that and make that contribution to the community because we need you. Nurses, doctors, healthcare professionals, extremely needed in the workplace. But just imagine and just know not everyone makes it to the hospital. Not everyone's going to make it to your ER. Not everyone's going to make it to your med surgery or ICU bed because they're going to die before they get there. So if you can make a difference by just helping to direct general lay people in emergency situations, at least until advanced healthcare and first responders arrive, 
that would be so much appreciated. So that's my story. Wanted to share. Um, I hope that I empowered you to better understand what Good Samaritan laws are and empowered you to act on them and to share your gift. I kind of got a little mushy and soft there, guys, because, you know, it really means a lot. So people don't make it to the hospital. So if we can help, let's do it. Let's do it. Make sure to share this podcast episode with a friend, classmate, coworker, sharing is caring. And it means so much to me, nurse.org and the podcast as we grow and try to get so many more listeners and this information out there. So if you found it helpful, just know someone else will too. So please leave a rating, review, a comment, leave five stars for your review on your favorite podcast streaming platform. Make sure to share. And guys, I would love to hear from you. I'd love to hear what you thought about this episode. And hey, if you have an idea for the next episode, please email me at nursealice at nurse.org. It's always my pleasure chatting with you. And shout out to nurse.org for hosting the podcast. Until next time, make good choices, be kind to one another, and look well, my friends. Thanks for listening to Ask Nurse Alice. Visit nurse.org for nursing career, education, and community resources.